Welcome everybody. I'm glad to do this again, have this opportunity with you. Um, just want to just pray and give thanks and then we'll start. Thank you, Lord, for the day. And I thank you this day as we uh, remember and honor fathers and remember our Heavenly Father, the one, the good Father, the one who is the model for us. And we thank you uh, for your presence with us and we ask you to uh, teach us. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. All right. Most of us remember this guy, don't we? Charlie Brown from Charles Schultz's Peanuts comic strip. It ran daily for 49 years from 1951 until 2000. Charlie had a friend named Lucy. Lucy was not what you'd call an encourager. She, she seemed to see the negative in everything. In, in one strip, Lucy is tearing into Charlie Brown, and she says, Sometimes I feel we are not communicating. You, Charlie Brown, are a foul ball in the line drive of life. You're often in the shadow of your own goalpost. You're a miscue. You're three putts on the 18th green. You are a 7-10 split in the 10th frame bowling. You've dropped a rod and reel in the lake of life. You're a missed free throw. You're a shanked nine iron, a called third strike, a bug on the windshield of life. Do you understand? Have I made myself clear? <laughs> now, of course, Charlie Brown wasn't all those things, but he did have his share of disasters. And one of his favorite sayings was, why is this always happening to me? Where did I go wrong? Do you ever feel like Charlie Brown? There are days when we feel as if life itself is against us and we, and we come up short. You, you pray, for example, you pray for a certain thing to happen, hoping that it's in the Lord's will for you. And later, when it flops, you wonder if God didn't want you to succeed or that he's certainly not going to intervene and he's leaving you to deal with the fallout of your dumb mistake. Is that what the Bible says God is like? Is that what the Bible says life is like? No. It's that type of thinking, though, that we want to dispel this morning. This kind of thinking gets in the way of achieving what God wants for us. And that mentality can stagnate our Christian growth, and it can kill churches. When things don't go our way, can we assume God is working against us? No. The Bible says quite the opposite, in fact. It says that in the struggles and challenges of life, we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. So if you'd like to turn into turn to Romans chapter 8, that's where we're going to start this morning. This section of chapter 8 that we're looking at today is, I just call it, one of the mountaintops of Scripture. Paul has been laying out the gospel to the church at Rome. He has shown us and them that our righteousness doesn't come through anything we do, or it doesn't come through a national identity, as the Jewish people thought, but it's given to us by God himself. It comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. 
Jesus redeemed us. He bought us back from death. He paid the price for our sin on the cross. He became the sacrifice of atonement for our sins. And when we place our trust fully in Jesus, God declares us in the right, righteous in his eyes. Being justified, another term for being declared righteous by God, being justified through faith, we have peace with him. And we have access into the grace in which we now stand. And we're rescued from God's wrath. And we're reconciled to God. And we will be saved through him. And, and he gives us all these blessings. And on top of that, on top of that, we have the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit who gives us victory over sin. And so when Paul, at the end of chapter 7, cried out, Who will rescue me from this body of death? The answer immediately came, Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so Paul can confidently say, Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Hmm. The one who raised Jesus to life also gives life to us. And the Bible tells us we have this, we have an inheritance as the children of God. And we look toward that future glory. And that's pretty much where we finished up last time we, we met. And so what we want to do now is finish the chapter with the passage today. It's Romans 8, 31 to 39. Let's read it together. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things. Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What then shall we say in response to these things? 
he starts. The, the old uh, J.B. Phillips paraphrase for this sentence starts chapter 8 with, In the face of all this, what is there left to say? Every person who lives faces difficulty, disease, disappointment, hard circumstances, and difficult people. They all serve as opponents to our good pleasure. <laughs> Paul could simply have asked the question, so who's against us? And we could all have given him our lists. But that isn't the question Paul was asking. His statement is, if God is for us, who can be against us? And that is a different question entirely. Paul has used up a lot of parchment to make one point, and it's simply this. God is for us. God is for us. Who then, Paul rightly asks, can be against us? It, it's true. There, there are people and things that, that still oppose us. There are people who hate the followers of Jesus. We, we experience the trials of life that everybody does. Uh, even Satan himself opposes us. Scripture tells us that he is an enemy seeking to devour us. And Paul doesn't deny all of those things, but he makes the point that with God for us, with God on our side, none of this opposition ultimately matters. God is for us in two ways. The first is in what Christ has done for us. Verse 32, He, God, who did not spare his own Son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? The, the original language actually says, for that word graciously, says, how will he not freely graciously give these things to us? That's a wow moment. Wow. God, in his love, gives us everything we need to meet life's challenges. The Father loves us so much that he sent his Son to die on the cross for us. Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to die on the cross for us. They both love us so much they sent the Holy Spirit to live with us and in us. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit love us. So if God loves us so much that he did this for us, will God forget us in our time of need? No way. No way. Uh, the all things that Paul is talking about here, will God not graciously give us all things? are what Paul has just outlined in verse 30. He says our, our ultimate goal, glorification, and everything we need to bring us to that glory at that point when we are finally with Jesus. In Christ, we are heirs to every spiritual blessing. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says it this way, Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? God's elect. The answer? No one. 
bring a charge, as you, uh, it's pretty obvious, that's a judicial term. It's in the court of God's justice. Who brings the charge? Who brings the accusations? Satan. Uh, his name actually means, the Satan actually, his, that name means the accuser. He's the accuser of the children of God. The one who always accuses us before God, bringing our sins as evidence of our guilt. Satan loves to watch our lives, just so you know, in case you didn't. He loves to watch our lives for opportunities to accuse us. Look at what John did today. Did you see that? Did, did you hear what he said? Man, did you tune into those thoughts he had, God? And he calls himself a Christian and a pastor? That shows you how much he really loves you, doesn't it, God? You know what's so great? God does not see me that way. Because when the Lord looks at me, when the Lord looks at you, he sees his son. In Jesus, and not through anything we do, God has chosen us to be his. If you remember from last week, the end of the, the part we read said, those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. He's already declared us righteous, justified. He's pronounced us in the right with him. Question for you. Will the righteous judge, and he is the righteous judge, will the righteous judge who has reached his verdict, who has heard the clear evidence that the penalty has been paid, will he now reverse himself and demand further payment? Never. Never. Jesus told us he would die once for all. I became a follower of Christ on October 8th, 1981. Question, did Jesus pay the penalty only for the sins that I committed up to 8.22 p.m. on that Thursday night, almost 39 years ago? And the answer is no. Jesus paid it all, start to finish. Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left its crimson stain. Jesus washed it white as snow. Well then, so who then is the one who condemns? In the Old Testament, chapter 50 of the book of Isaiah, we read, He who vindicates me is near. Who then will bring charges against me? Let us face each other. Who is my accuser? Let him confront me. It is the sovereign Lord who helps me. Who will condemn me? No one can, can condemn us. Why? Because Jesus Christ took our condemnation and died for us and was raised to life and intercedes for us before the Father. 
God is for us in what Christ has done for us. That's the first major point. The second is this. God is for us in his love for us expressed in Jesus. Knowing that you've been declared innocent of all charges, what a wonderful assurance. I wonder if that's what Fanny Crosby had in mind when she wrote, Blessed Assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. But it doesn't just stop there. Because Jesus doesn't just defend us. He loves us. And he establishes relationship with us. Nothing will ever separate us from his love. Nothing. 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 I've been a grandparent now for almost 15 years. It, it, those of you who are there, you know it's just, it's the greatest gig going, right? Uh, it's so much fun watching them, these little kids, and, and as they grow, watching them learn about life and watching them learn about Jesus as their moms and their dads talk about him. And those moms and dads are doing a great job in both areas. One of the things you learn with really little kids is that uh, they don't learn the same way we do. They need concrete examples to help them with concepts like love. So you, you can tell them someone loves them, and they might accept that because you told them. But if you ask them if somebody loves them, it gets them to think about it more. And so if their moms and dads tell them that their grandparents love them, well, that's good. But, but if they say, does mommy love you? They'll say, yes. Does daddy love you? Yes. Does nanny love you? Yes. Does poppy love you? Yes. <laughs> that they love it. We need concrete examples or it will just remain an abstract concept. So, and Paul could, Paul uses this device here. He could have just flatly stated to his readers, Look, guys, nothing can separate you from God's love. But he doesn't just want us to learn that like it's a fact. He wants us to pause and consider God's love. And so he presents it as a series of questions. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Will trouble separate us? Will hardship? Will persecution Will famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Will, will my unbelieving family members separate me from the love of Jesus? Will those who persecute me separate me from his love? Who or what can separate us from Christ's love? And so Paul is writing from experience here. This is not theoretical. This is not theological theory. Theological theory. That's a good one. <laughs> Thank you, Captain Obvious. Uh, you go to another one of Paul's letters, 2 Corinthians 11, and we read that Paul had experienced pretty much everything on this list we've just looked at. Paul wrote this. I've worked much harder. I've been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. 
Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. This isn't theory for Paul. And when Paul wrote, for your sake, we face death all day long, verse 36, he was quoting from the Old Testament, Psalm 44. Paul wanted to show them that God's people have always suffered those under the Old Covenant and those under the New. Who or what shall separate us from Christ's love? No one. Nothing. No, Paul says, we are more than conquerors. We are more than, we more than triumph over these things through him who loves us. And he gets personal. For I am sure that neither death nor life, neither death nor life, we're not advancing here, hang on a second, there we go, neither death nor life, Christ is with us, he's in us through the Holy Spirit, and in him we have eternal life. Our, our eternal life has already begun. And so, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Last time I checked, eternity is forever. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons. There are no living creatures, material or spiritual, that can separate us from the love of Christ. Neither the present nor the future. God does not change. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if God doesn't change, his love for us will not change either. If you are chosen, you stay chosen. It's finished. Game, set, and match. Nor any powers. Neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sounded like a broken record here. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? No one and nothing. Nada. Nothing in the physical world, things above or below. Nothing in the spirit world. Nothing in the past. Thank you, Lord. Nothing in the present, nothing in the future can separate us from the love of God. No accusations against us will stand against the testimony of Jesus. 
the one who gave his life for us. There's only one qualifier, and we actually read it in verse 1 of the chapter. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So the question is, are you in Christ Jesus? Do you know the Savior? If you have bowed your knee to him, you've stopped fighting him, and you've surrendered to him, and you've given him your life and said, lead me, Lord. I believe you died for me. And I believe you are who you say you are, you're God. If you've done that, Jesus will never cast you out. Uh, our first worship song today said, in the, uh, in the part of the song said, He will never fail us. He will never fail us. The only way to know the love of God is to come to the cross and lay everything down. We need to do that. We need to repent, which means to admit and turn from our sin. We need to trust in Jesus alone for our salvation, not Jesus plus anything else, not Jesus as one of the things we're trusting, Jesus alone. And if you have done that, then you are in Christ. And if you have, you are more than conquerors. In April 2010, just a little over 10 years ago, Anton Hoyts Mersing, uh, you won't know the name, he was a, a, he's a former member of the Red Scorpions gang, uh, but he turned inform, he became an informant and he returned to Vancouver when he was finally caught to, and he returned to Vancouver to cooperate with the police. He pled guilty to two gang murders eight years earlier than that. And he's now still serving life in prison with no chance of parole for 25 years. He was interviewed by the Vancouver Sun about why he changed his plea. Here's what he said. I have always suffered inside. Feelings of guilt that I've always tried to push down in a way, but always to no avail. Now the reporter noted, took note that Anton, in the, in the words of the reporter, Anton had found God. But Anton was still not sure that he would earn forgiveness. He said this, I believe I must do, oh, by the way, there's a lot of good in what he's saying here. But I believe I must do all and everything that is in my power and purview to do the right thing, to do acts and efforts to show and shine in the light of Jesus and in the grace of God. Wonderful. And then he said, I have much doubt and much worry as to whether God will ultimately forgive me. And in, in terms of talking about his cooperation with the police in, in some of these prosecutions, he said, my memory is so clear, and I am so eager to do the right and righteous thing. A new path, a new life, even if it is behind bars, I will be free. Free for the first time in my adult life. But church, he got one of those details wrong. 
If you know Jesus Christ, you have been declared righteous. You don't have to worry whether God will ultimately forgive you. You can't earn forgiveness. You are forgiven if you are in Christ. You have a new path. You have a new life. And you have been set free from sin and death. And so as we wrap up this book, this wonderful chapter of Romans, just that reassurance that we are more than conquerors over anything life can throw at us. And we will never be separated from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. I am so grateful to you, Lord, that you found me. I didn't find you. You reached down and got a hold of me and showed me truth, the truth. And when I realized it, I'm so thankful that you watched me as I came to you and gave my life to you. Lord, I, I don't know where I would have been by now had I not done that. And it's a lot of years, but it's as fresh today as it was the night that it happened. And so, Jesus, I say thank you. Thank you that you are my Father in heaven. Thank you for your love that will never fade. Thank you for a relationship that will never be broken. Thank you, Lord, for your love. In Jesus, in your name we pray. Amen. Well, it's not downhill from here. We've got lots of good learning in Romans. And next week in chapter 9, we're going to pick it up again. And uh, I promise it's going to be very interesting. But if you have any questions about anything we've talked about today, uh, come on in and talk. I had a couple of good conversations this week with folks that I, I thought it was clear and they did too, but they clearly didn't think the same thing I did, but we were able to, to work it through and I was able to help them. So, yeah, here we are. Thanks for coming. Thanks for being part of our um, online church today, our church at home. God bless you and I hope you have a fantastic week.